0: The Woodside Church podcast. Thank you very much Hudson. <clears throat> so I've entitled this how not to pray and uh, hopefully we'll come up next is the passage that we're going to look at. If you do have a pocket Bible of any form, electronic or otherwise, you might want to turn to it so that you can easily look back at it as we go through it. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 5 through to 8. And it goes like this, Jesus says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you need of before you ask him. Jesus had started his earthly ministry. He'd walked for 30 years with his unseen heavenly father. As he observed the world around and as he observed the religious leaders that were leading God's people, Israel. So far in Matthew, as we get to this point, Jesus has already started a preaching ministry. He's already been healing people. And prior to this point, he's chosen 12 disciples who will follow him and learn from him. And now we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It was on a mountain Not everybody is sure exactly where that mountain is, but he was on a mountain. And he was preaching a sermon primarily to his disciples. And in chapter five, the chapter before this, Jesus had explained something that might have been missed. That God isn't looking for behavior, he's looking at the heart. In chapter six, he then starts to talk about our offerings to God, our offerings of giving, the way we give, the way we pray, and the way we fast. And with all of them, he taught them how not to do it. And so we're gonna be looking at how not to pray. Jesus is telling us how to unlearn things that we've previously seen. All of us live in cultures all around the world. We live in cultures and around people and we learn things. We catch things from them. Jesus here is saying I want you to unlearn some things. There's a man called R. Stanley who was recommended to me by Hudson. He's a, an Indian preacher and teacher. And he did a series on this subject, I recommend it, it's on YouTube. But he makes this point, unlearning is a prerequisite for learning. Unlearning is a prerequisite for learning. And so Jesus used this method a number of times in order to teach us divine truths that we might not have caught. He also said this, unlearning can be more difficult than learning. As we would say, old habits die hard. It reminds me of when I was about 15 or 16 years old and at school and a local professional golfer um, came to our school and he started to teach us how to play golf. And we were 15, 16 year old lads and uh, still very flexible. And, uh, and we, we learned very quickly how to play this game of golf. And uh, just to say golf is a, um, golf's a strange game. If you look at the golf stroke, it's the most unnatural stroke in the world. Anyway, we. We did this, and uh, and so I, I joined a golf club. It cost me two pounds a year to join this golf club. I think it's more expensive now. And um, and my father joined with me, and also his friend uh, Len Corner is his name. Now Len was a county cricket player in the past, and he knew how to he knew how to bat. And uh, what, you know, he had a very strong right arm as he would come through and play a stroke. The trouble is, if you're right-handed, it's your left arm that does all the work in golf. Your right hand is just there to guide it, but your left arm comes through. He couldn't catch on to that, even though he had Uh, professional lessons, I believe, as long as we ever played together, his playing never got any better. It was consistent. He was trying to play cricket on a golf course. And it didn't work. You see, unlearning can be more difficult than learning. And so Jesus calls us to primarily unlearn two things that we not be like the hypocrites and we not be like the heathen. So I'd like to look first at the hypocrites. He said, do not pray like the hypocrites. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. These were the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And he called them hypocrites. It was a, actually a Greek word. And it means play actor. They used to put masks on their face to hide their identity and to hide their motives. And they were play acting for one reason. They, they wanted to get applause from the crowd. And perhaps they wanted to get payment from the crowd as well. They played to the crowd. Jesus through his 30 years has ob- had observed these people in the synagogues, on the street corners. They were praying. They weren't necessarily praying loudly, but everybody knew what they were doing. They were so spiritual. Oh, that we could connect with God like they do, people would think. But the problem wasn't that they were praying in public because we have got examples of Jesus. He prayed in public before his disciples and others. And when we look in Acts and we look at the New Testament church, we see that they had powerful times of prayer together. Praying in public was not the issue. The problem was, who were they praying to? They were effectively praying to the crowds. They were praying these words, but all the time they were thinking, oh, they must be so impressed by me. They had one thing in their mind. But the problem is God looks at the heart. And he knew all of us. And Jesus said they have their reward. Their reward was the praise of men. They would not get any reward at all from God. And that means God would not hear them. Now you might say, but we're not like that. We're not like these religious zealots of 2000 years ago. You know, many of us, we won't even pray out loud, let alone what they did. We come into a gathering of people and we're so nervous And uh, embarrassed even about praying. And you know, I just challenge us all, and I challenge myself why do we not pray when we're with others? And you know, the reason many times might be because oh, what will people think of me? What if I get things wrong? What if I get my words all twisted up, like I sometimes do when I'm speaking in front of a lot of people? And so we stop. Others of us, we, we might find it easy to, easier to pray in a, in a public setting. But you know what? We're still trying to get our words just right. We're rehearsing them. Before we step forward, and before we speak out, with the, we've already worked out what we're going to say. You know, Jesus even said one time, he said, when you're going to court, and this could be a very serious case in court, don't even think about what you're going to say. Wow. Just trust me. And so I would encourage all of us, and myself too, let's just open our mouths and let the Holy Spirit speak through us. Same applies to somebody like doing what I'm doing right now, you know, speaking. Do I come up here, okay, I've got something sorted out, but do I come up here all the time thinking about how how am I gonna do it? Or am I thinking, no, no, I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit speak through me because that's gonna be what makes most of the difference. Jesus turns to them and he says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Our main times of prayer shouldn't be the public ones. Our main times of prayer should be the private time with God. He says, go into your room. The word for room actually means storeroom. In a a Jewish home, bearing in mind it's quite a hot climate, the, the storeroom would often be in the center of the building away from where the heat was. That was the storeroom, the provision room and so on. Provision would come out of that room. And he said, go in there, go into the storeroom. It'll be quiet there, it'll be cool there. But there won't be any people there. Do you have a secret room that you go to? A private place away from everything else and everyone. Who's got one? A few hands, not too many. <laughs> but this is what God's asking us. Go into a secret place. It might be a room, might be a shed in the garden. It might be our car as we're driving along, nobody else in the car with us. Might be a private spot in the garden, somewhere close, somewhere convenient. For Jesus who said he had nowhere to lay his head, his room was perhaps a garden, was perhaps a wilderness, was perhaps a desert or it was perhaps as he was walking along by himself on the road. You know, our room might be just the place where we close our eyes. Where we close our eyes. And then we're alone. It's a a historical thing, isn't it? We're told, ah, let's close our eyes when we pray. There's some logic behind that. Because he says, shut your door, shut your door. Shut out all the distractions, shut out, if we're gonna pray, let's shut out all the things that are gonna take away our mind from God and our mind from the things that we're looking for. Shut out people, shut out noise, shut out television. Somehow shut out Facebook. Shut out WhatsApp. Shut out all the other pings that are gonna come our way. And pray to your Father. Jesus, as as Hudson reminded us, he prayed to the Father. That was the example that we saw. The Bible encourages us to pray to the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Father, you know names are important. Probably the, the word that you most love in the world is your own name. I know I've heard that said. When someone speaks to us and they remember our name and they use our name, you know there's something encouraging about that. And Jesus did it a lot, didn't he? When he said Mary or he said, Peter or Simon. God wants us to use his name. Let's not just call him God. That's a very broad term. Let's use the name of the one that we're speaking to at that point in time. If it's the father, let's say father. Let's say daddy, Abba as Jesus said. We're gonna hear a lot more about that next week from Zach who will be teaching on the very first part of the Lord's Prayer. If we're talking to Jesus, let's use Jesus' name. Let's thank Jesus for dying on the cross. Let's not thank the Father for dying on the cross because the Father didn't die on the cross. Let's thank Jesus for dying on the cross. Let's thank the Holy Spirit when he's just moved upon us because he was the one that did it. He might have done it quietly, but he's the one that did it. The Greek word for prayer is a a word that means to make a request, but it means also to make a request to someone. It has the word pros at the very beginning, which, which means towards. So when we pray, one key thing that Jesus wanted us to understand was, who are you praying to? In this case, it was, are you praying to men or are you praying to God? So that was the hypocrites that Jesus had looked at, Learn not to do what they did because they effectively prayed to men for men's applause. And he goes on and he says, don't pray like the heathen. Matthew 6, 7, says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Heathen or pagans at that time were anybody who was outside of the Jewish religion. All the rest of the world, they were the They were the pagans. They were the heathen. Like the Canaanites who prayed to their many Baals. Or the the rulers, Rome and, and Greece, who prayed to their many gods and goddesses, often learning from each other, copying each other. The Hindus who were, apparently, worshipping prior to when Jesus came, but in another part of the world, praying to their many, many gods. I understand as many as three million. And the Buddhists, they don't pray to their gods, they pray to Buddhas who are enlightened human beings. But again, there can be as many of those as you want. And Jesus said don't, they they used vain repetitions. The word vain, is not necessarily a word we use too much now, but it means empty. It's that phrase that we get from Ecclesiastes, all is vanity. It's empty, it's useless, it's worthless, it's unprofitable. Use for nothing. Empty babble would be another way of of translating that because with many words, many mantras, they would say them over and over and over again in order to coerce their God to do something that he didn't want to do but that they wanted. That was their purpose and they would keep on doing it over and over and over. You remember the, the story of Elijah and where, where he was with the prophets of Baal and it says all day they cried out to their God, or their gods, their Baals, and they cut themselves all day. But it was all vanity. They were looking for him to set on fire the sacrifice. Nothing happened. But you might say, well, that's not really a description of the heathen today because The people around us, they don't even believe in a God. Certainly in England, so many people would say, ah, it's not a God. Don't believe in any of that spiritual nonsense. Yet you know they do worship the gods of this world. The gods of money and power and rebellious spirit. The God of, the God of self. They're all doing it. Others follow superstitions and occult practices. They put that in place. They're still praying. You might say, but we are not like that. We are Christians, we're not not heathens. We pray, but perhaps not as much as we used to. Maybe we're a bit tired. Maybe we started to look to ourselves to solve problems rather than always calling on God. We're encouraged again by those around us to look to our own strength, to look to our own intellect, to look to our own creativity to be able to solve our problems. So who are we praying to endlessly we're looking to ourself we acknowledge God but in practice we're putting our faith in ourselves or in others or in money or possessions sometimes anything other than God and we can be like Peter you remember when he went out in the boat and he said to Jesus Jesus we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. They'd been throwing the net over and over, try it this side, try it that side, let's waggle it a bit, let's do something different. They'd been trying it over and over and over again all night, vain repetition and had caught nothing. And so Jesus says, I want you to do things differently And he says this, he says, our father knows. Whoa. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. That's amazing. He knows our needs before we even say anything to him about it, that should affect. Maybe the way we pray. He knows our situation. You know, sometimes we might do it, or we might hear others doing it, going into so much detail about the situation, speaking to God, all the detail of this situation that we're in. And, and, and God said, Excuse me, excuse me. I know. I know your problem. I know what that person's just said. I know what that situation is that you're in. Who, who, who are you speaking to again? Oh, oh, I'm not, I'm not speaking to you, God. I'm speaking to these people around me because they don't, really? Well, it wasn't prayer, so you might as well open your eyes and just tell people because that's what we're doing, yeah? Let's get our prayer to prayer and our speaking to speaking right. You know, we don't have to persuade or coerce our father because he's our heavenly father. He loves us. He cares for us. He's like a good, good father who just wants to give good things to his children. And you know what? He doesn't mind us asking more than once. How many of us as fathers have heard their child asking again and again and we say, "It's it's okay, I'll give it to you. I give it to you. What do we, why do we do it? We're not being played. We know exactly what we're doing. We just love them. We just wanted to check that they really wanted it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, he said, "'Ask and it shall be given you. "'Seek and you shall find. "'Knock and it shall be opened unto you.'" And, and in each case, it's a present continuous ver- uh, verb, which means ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking. We got a, I <clears throat> don't know if it's ever happened to you, but we, um, we got a delivery note through the, through the door the other day. And it said, I called, but there was no answer. Come and collect it at our distribution depot, which was over in Bromham. And I thought, what? We were in, the doorbell worked. We weren't even in the back garden, we, we were in. What do you mean you called? You know, was it, was it like, anybody in? Oh no, I put my little, no, you know. If that person had really wanted to, to give us that parcel, they, they would have kept they would have knocked, they would have knocked a bit louder, they say, hello. That's what God's looking for when we ask him. We, he's not just looking for us to ask him once and then forget about it and say, oh, well, I, I asked you. He's wanting us to be serious about it. He's wanting us to look for the answer. If it's not there, keep on asking. He wants us to take prayer seriously. In James, it says this, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Sorry, there is a previous point there. He doesn't want us to use empty words. In the picture that we see in with, with, here in James, he's talking about Elijah. Elijah prayed seven times for God to send rain after a three and a half year drought. And it says he went down, he went down on his haunches like that, and he's praying and praying to God seven times. And then there was a cloud the size of a man's fist came through. He was looking for it, he was seeking it. His prayer was effective, but it was fervent. It was passionate. He was labeled as being a man of faith, a prayer of faith. You know, if we're making prayers, and they're not passionate, and they're not full of faith, then we need to step back a bit and say, hold on, why am I not full of faith when I'm praying this? Let's think about this. Because if we're praying and we're not passionate, we're not full of faith, probably, Not much is gonna be happening. And finally on this point, he doesn't need us to use lots of words. We're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer and I counted how many words there were in it, 53. That's not many, is it? The whole of the Lord's Prayer, 53 words. Does it need our prayers to be many? but it does need them to be real. And so Jesus has said, don't be like the hypocrites, don't be like the heathen. But I don't want to just finish off on a negative, as it were, I'd like us to think of a positive. And it's this point that we close, when we go into the private, the secret room with God, and Jesus says, close the door. That when we close that door, we open up another door. You know, I, I ask the question, why is it Jesus is going to all this effort to prevent us from useless prayer? He's God. He, he, he's a sovereign God. He can do anything he wants to in my life and on this earth. But, you know, we, we get a glimpse of God's approach right back in the Garden of Eden where he says to Adam and Eve, don't eat that fruit or you'll die. And then he lets them do it. You see, although God can sovereignly do whatever he wills on this earth, that's not the normal way that he will work. The normal way that he will work is to engage his children. John Wesley said something which some people might disagree or agree with, but he said, God does nothing on earth without the prayers of man. Now, if that is true, we need to be doing something, yeah? And I realize that Jesus is trying to stop us praying useless prayers because He wants God to be able to come and bring something to earth. He wants God to be able to break into your life and my life, break into your situation, my situation, break into the life of your loved one and my loved one. Let's have a look at Psalm 24. It says this, lift up your heads O you gates, be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. You see, we are his gates. God's people are the gates. We are the doors into this earth, and God chooses to use us. And if we don't open the doors, either because of our lives, living the way God tells us how to live, which is basically what Matthew five is telling us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we don't open up doors, God can't come through. But he says, open them, lift them up. I guess they were doors that, that lifted up from the bottom. Pulled them up. That the king of glory can come in. That the king can bring his presence in. That the king can bring his kingdom into that situation. And if your life and my life is struggling right now, what he's saying is open the doors. Open the doors that the king can come in and do something. And how do we open it? Well, one way is that we pray. In Jeremiah 33.3, three, this is a, a well-known verse, and it says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't know. Things that you never even conceived of. Things you couldn't, can't even get your head around. Too much blessing, too much amazing things happening. What does he say? Call unto me. That word means call out, cry out. Doesn't mean call, it means cry out. Not like that person delivering the parcel Anybody in? Got parcel? No. I really like the word call because in many languages, we all use the same word. It's a very interesting word, isn't it? You know, I call Joy, Joy. Her parents, when she was born, Joy is my wife, by the way, her parents, When she was born, they called her Joy. They gave her that name. If I go to someone's house, I'm calling on them. If I suddenly have a leak in the pipes, do I call an electrician? No, not unless he's very rounded electrician. I call a plumber. God is asking us to call on Him. We call on Him as Father because He loves us as a loving Heavenly Father. We call on Him, Jehovah Rapha, because His name is Healer, because we need Him to heal us. We call on Him, our friend, because right there we need a friend. We call on, the comforter because right then we need comfort and strength. Let's call by the name that we want to call by and let's believe that he lives up to his name that he's called by. Let's not call feebly. God calls us to bring our prayers into the storehouse, our secret place and when we do, God opens the windows of heaven and pours out so much blessing upon us, pours great and mighty things upon us that we know not of. But you know what? He can't open those windows unless we first go into our storehouse and pray. He wants to impact your life and my life. Think of it that way when you're in trouble. He wants to impact our situations. Think of that when we just think, where's this going? Well, he'll do something when we call on him, when we lift up our gates and we call on the king of heaven. So to finish, as we learn how not to pray and as we learn over the coming weeks how to pray, So God, the king and his kingdom will come in through the gates that we open. And God himself will pour out his blessing, which only he knows what we need will come down us. So let's not be like the hypocrites. Let's not be like the heathen whose prayers are useless, but rather let's be a praying people who allow God to change the world through us. Let's just pray very quickly. Father, I ask you that you would help us to unlearn things that we need to unlearn in this area of prayer and that you would help us to learn both individually and together how we can become a praying people who allow you to do what you want to do in our lives and on the earth. And we pray, Father, to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Shall we give a big hand for all <laughs>